0: Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at Babbel.com slash BlueWire. That's 60% off at Babbel.com slash BlueWire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash BlueWire. Rules and restrictions apply. Your trusted source for news and analysis about Chicago White Sox prospects and player development. Covering the Major League Baseball draft and international market, plus the action in Kannapolis, Winston-Salem, Birmingham, and Charlotte. This is the Future Sox podcast with your hosts Mike Rankin and James Fox.
1: Welcome to another episode of the Future Sox Podcast. We're back with you every Tuesday here on the Blue Wire Network. Thanks so much to everybody involved listening to get us out to wherever you listen to your podcast. My name is Mike Rankin. I'll be your host, James Fox, alongside us. Go to SoxMachine.com. If you're interested in becoming a Patreon, it's really important to us because it allows us to continue to do what we've been doing all season long and all year long, 365 days a year. We got you covered for White Sox baseball. And I say that because it's important now, James, to pay attention to this portion of the offseason. There are some significant moves that are going to be made regarding the 40-man, and also it tells us a little bit of what to expect from the front office's perspective when it comes to strategy going into free agency and the trade market. So we have a lot to get to. There's some rumors about potential trade targets already, and of course, there's a discussion that was posted on Twitter that we need to mention because it stirred the pot a little bit on White Sox Twitter, which is awesome. So we're going to get to all of it, James. Let's first begin with the news of A.J. Pollock deciding to decline his player option. Now, that means $5 million buyout, and he left $8 million on the table. If he had opted in, it's $13 million. If he opted out, as a result, $5 million in his pocket, and he's a free agent. What was your reaction just to that decision, considering uh, you know, conventional thinking, of course, believing that Pollock would return for the money, but I think there's a lot more that goes into this one.
2: Yeah. So I'm stunned. Um, I guess I should have listened to, this is one of Josh Nelson's good opinions. I think we'll get to him later, but, um, he, you know, like he, he was like <laughs> one of the only ones that was like, nope, older millennial. Like, you know, I should know like as a 37 year old, right. That it's not always just like about the money. And, cause like, to me, like the old Seinfeld line, like people don't turn down money. It's what separates us from the animals is kind of like how I think, like, I was like, yeah, he's taking 13 million. Like, of course he is. But, I mean, I guess if you're him and you're, you're taking the five, right. You think you can make it up later. And, you know, maybe he didn't want to be in Chicago. Like maybe they wanted to be in LA or he wanted to be somewhere else, or he wanted to be somewhere with more playing time. I mean, I had heard like, it's readily apparent that the White Sox like really didn't want AJ Pollock, you know? And if he was going to be like facing just left-handers, you know, playing in left field or whatever, like, I, I guess like it makes more sense now. Right. Like, Take the five million, go see what else is out there, see if you can get a multi-year deal somewhere. But I guess I just assumed that like he would just take the 13 million. So, you know, I guess now the big question is, right, like do they spend the eight million dollar difference, right? And were they anticipating Pollock coming back or Pollock declining the option? Because I just, you know, I think that maybe that matters a little bit, right? Like, is the $8 million like, found money a little bit that they have to spend now? Or, like, was that always budgeted in the first place? I don't really know.
1: Yeah, we'll get into the budget, too, in this uh, discussion regarding Iggy Pollock and the outfield situation now, because suddenly all of it's changed. And, you know, we're seeing reports that Jerry Reinsdorf is willing to maintain a budget similar to last year, whether it's exactly the same, we don't know, but around $190 million dollars, and when you think about the situation now, the White Sox put themselves in, I, I think it's interesting that you bring up the willingness to play in Chicago from AJ Pollock's perspective, as well as the organization looking at their situation. What does AJ Pollock do for the organization at this point? Because, you know, he did well against lefties. For the most part, he struggled all year and he could play a corner outfield spot, but there's legitimate reason to believe that there could be an upgrade, whether it's internal or on the trade market or free agency. So I'd love to get your take there, James on what's next for the white Sox considering Luis Roberts, your center fielder. You have questions about the back end of your roster in terms of players like Adam Engel, And I mean, Leary is going to be a part of this thing, but you're looking to fill the outfield now outside of Gavin sheets and Aloy Jimenez.
2: Yeah, they have one outfielder, man, like Luis Roberts, their center fielder. And you know, if you had to play a game tomorrow, like my guess is Oscar Colas, somebody we've talked about a lot, would be in right. And like, as of this moment, I mean, Adam Engel's on the team. I'm pretty sure Adam Engel's going to get non-tendered. I mean, Gavin Sheets and left, Aloy in left, and an open DH spot. I just like, I don't think that's their plan. They need to get more left-handed. So, you know, I, I've been an advocate of two left-handed hitting outfielders. One of them can be Colas, right? So I think in an ideal world, you find some left-handed hitting outfielder to play left and... You know, you have another righty as the next guy, you know, um, you know, I mentioned Tommy Pham on Twitter and only because I think under this coaching staff, like maybe Tommy Pham could be the fourth guy and used properly. Like if he faces just lefties, you know, 115 WRC plus against lefties last year, he shouldn't face righties, you know, with Tony La Russa managing, like I, I wouldn't have trusted something like this, but you know, you could probably unearth a pretty good platoon you know, like if you make the right decisions finally. So who is it in left? I don't know. I mean, I've always beat the Jock Peterson drum, but with the qualifying offer out, that's not happening. So, you know, there are some options, probably cheaper ones, right? I think both of us would be ecstatic if all of a sudden they just like signed Brandon Nemo. That would be wonderful. I just, you know, it just doesn't seem like with all the talk about their budget, that something like that's in the cards. Um, But I definitely think the team looks a little bit different. And finally you know some more balance and like some more left-handed hitters. It's, this seems like the the right time to do it. Now they have the opportunity to do so.
1: I love the Brendan Nimmo idea. I I would, you know, I'd be ecstatic like you said. That's a player that fits so well with his roster. It's going to there's a lot of teams interested. So, you know how that is regarding the White Sox perspective. I mean, sit at the table. What can we say? Michael Conforto is a name that was linked to the White Sox last season, missed all year, and you know, there was you know, concern maybe to his shoulder, maybe he was dealing with injury, and then there was stuff, you know, missing time in the office. It, it, that was a whole deal. But, you know, moving forward, looking at the roster, is Yolke is a thing, James, in this conversation? Because we, we think about the White Sox valuing their internal prospects. and and trying to develop the organization. I believe Oscar Colas is going to be a part of this thing, whether it's right away, we don't know. I think the offseason season will determine that Oscar Colas could have a great spring training and maybe they want to ease him into the big league roster by May or June. And I would be totally fine with that. However, going into opening day with Colas as your right fielder is putting a lot of stock into that player. And just hypothetically speaking here, does you Cespedes kind of fit into that conversation as well?
2: So I think, like, eventually, and, I, and I've, like, mentioned this too, the problem is, like, he he didn't play at all at Charlotte last year. So my guess is he's the center fielder in Charlotte to start the year, and they'll see how he does. I mean, I think, like, he's he's underachieved a little bit, right? But, like, the, the things that he does well, he can play the outfield. You know, he can he can get by in center. He's probably better in a corner, but he does have, like, a premium throwing arm and speed and he's hit really well against lefties. So he struggled with righties and he strikes out too much. Right. But so like, could he play the Adam Engel role? Like eventually? Yeah, maybe like he could be, you know, just an option on your team that plays the outfield well and hits lefties. Um, But I do think maybe a little bit more minor league seasoning is necessary first. Like he'll be in big league spring training. And then I'm sure he'll have the opportunity to make the baseball team. I just, you know, I don't really know how that's going to go, but yeah, I mean, I think, like him and Kolos are obviously like the two options as far as like the close to the majors outfielders, which is again, though, right. Is why like they have to add from the outside here. And there's all sorts of budgetary questions and like how many trades can Rick Hahn make? Like, do they truly not have much money to spend? I don't know, but you know, I'm pretty sure there's going to be two new outfielders on this roster in addition to Kolos because they just don't really have any other choice right now.
1: I'm interested to see how they attack that because there are other positions of need as well. I think they want to bolster the the rotation, maybe add an arm if if they can figure out a way to get production like they did last year out of the back end of their rotation. you know I want to include Davis Martin in this because I think he deserves a lot of credit. He's taken major strides. I think Sean Burke, James, you had something interesting that we discussed was a part of the uh, – or is going to be a part of the AAA discussion next year, which means he can make a massive leap at some point during next season, as Burke was already in advanced arm when they drafted him out of Maryland. So when, you, when you're when you looking at the starting rotation, you keep in mind that, yes, they need to find innings, Giolito, Cease, Kopec. You're thinking of those types of names, but what else? And that's also part of the conversation that we're talking about now is – how are you going to upgrade the lineup? Other positions like catcher at this point, you look at the depth Carlos Perez, Sebi Zavala, Yasmani Grandal. Is that enough? Now, we saw, and this takes me to the next point, we saw a rumor that Sean Murphy was of interest to the White Sox, among many other teams. And, you know, Oakland A's are going to ask for what they do. They're, they're going to identify prospects that are under control and close to major league ready in order to deal Sean Murphy. So like that, as an example, James, quickly, because we saw this report and I'm just wondering how the White Sox stack up against the rest of the league when it comes to a player like Sean Murphy, because you're going to have to give up something for anybody at this point where you consider them an upgrade. Like the White Sox may be taking a hit big time if they do decide to go after a guy like Sean
2: Murphy. Yeah, so Bruce Levine got me to do like, the eye roll and piqued my interest like all at the same time. Right. So it's like, Oh, on Friday, this tweet comes out like inside the clubhouse Saturday morning. Like I got to tune in and listen to what Bruce has to say. So, you know, I, I think he kind of walked it back a little bit. It was one of these things where it's like, Oh yeah, the white Sox have checked in on Sean Murphy, but there's seven suitors that the A's have for Sean Murphy. Right. And like, I mean, if that's the case, like the white Sox don't, I don't think really have what it takes to get it done. I mean, I think like, Obviously, like you never know because the A's have notoriously made weird trades. But I mean, it's three years of Sean Murphy, who was a five war catcher last year, who hit 18 homers and a bunch of doubles, like playing home games in the Coliseum. So I don't know. I just think that kind of takes a lot more than maybe the White Sox would be willing to give up. I don't think how they'd get that trade done without Colson Montgomery. And I think we're going to talk about Garrett Crochet here in a little bit. But like, I mean, I don't know what the rest of the league sees him as, but I mean, you know, like those are probably your top two trade chips, like for a premium piece. And, and like, Mm -hmm. honestly, I just don't know that catcher is that big of a deal right now. Right. Obviously Yasmany Grandal cannot be what he was right. Or they're going to be in a world of trouble, but Yasmani Grandal makes $18 million next year. He's trying to like work his way back. And, you know, he feels fairly optimistic that he'll be able to do that. Right. But I kind of feel like he's going to be on the team. So, like, they almost have to hope that Grandall's better because I, I just think banking on Grandall to be a little bit better is probably, like, b- a better solution than any of the realistic alternatives, right? Because I just, like, don't really consider trading for Sean Murphy a realistic alternative. Like, they mm-hmm. could do it, and I could be surprised. I just, I don't really see it. And, I mean, obviously, like, Sebby Zavala last year had a, BABIP, a BABIP-induced, like batting line, but I mean it's a 119 WRC plus. He was worth almost two F war last year in like 60 games. Like he like if he does that again, that's a perfectly fine like, you know, duo. It's just, you know, I don't know what you think, but I just like think like if you have limited resources, right, like putting them into catcher before starting pitching in the outfield and we haven't even got to second base just like doesn't seem like the best use of resources right now.
1: Right. It's identifying uh, an issue that's better than other issues on the team, right? Like they're they're in a better spot, like in terms of ranking the poor uh, situations, whether it's in left field or a catcher or rotation. I think catcher is near the bottom of the list if you're going to check boxes of what you have to fix this offseason. And I agree with you. I think, and I wanted to throw this back to you as well because this has been a conversation happening across White Sox Twitter and among White Sox fans, of course, is. How do you value, I guess, what's your perspective on farm system talent, like top 100 prospects during this period of, of White Sox baseball? Are you willing to trade a Colson Montgomery at this point? Are you willing to move on from Andrew Vaughn at this point because you're committed to trying to win with what you believe at the big league level is good enough to, to win? I always have reservations about dealing with, your top prospects that you drafted developed over two to three seasons because you find yourself in a never-ending cycle that uh, you're trying to catch up over and over again you're trying to replenish talent and if you're continuing to flip that talent misidentifying talent um, talent that you had and then ultimately turns into 10 years of major league production makes me feel worse about you know the the return because ultimately if you're trading somebody that like i said you drafted you developed and ultimately turns out to be 10 years of major league production but it takes them 5 seasons to get there versus 2 years of a player that's under cost control that somewhat underperforms on a team that's 3 games over 500 makes me feel like it was a loss but you're at an you're at a situation now in the organization where you want to win so I feel like it's a very difficult line that the White Sox are trying to walk at this point. So just throwing it to you, James, when it comes to these types of talent, are you looking for them to go in and and trade a guy like Colson Montgomery, Andrew Vaughn, to get what you believe will fix issues immediately over the next two seasons?
2: So I usually don't like trading like top 50 to top 75, like position player prospects, like especially when ownership is like in the state that it's in, right? Like when you aren't willing to spend over your mistakes, you can't trade like potential solutions, right? Like I think pitching is always a little bit different because like pitchers get hurt and like, it is what it is, right? Like you trade a Dane Dunning to get a Lance Lynn. Like I think stuff like that makes sense. I think trading a Colson Montgomery right now for something that I don't think is like a huge upgrade like, does it make any sense? You know, like if, if, you know, if, if you think that like a number one starter is like your top priority, right. And like, you have to trade Colson Montgomery to get Corbin Burns. Like, yeah, I mean, by all means, like there's deals that, that makes sense. Right. But like with, you know, with this seemingly cost controlled core getting expensive, I just feel like Colson Montgomery is a guy that it's going to be tough for them to move. I think especially like he's a top 50 prospect in baseball. He goes to double a and kind of does what he did last year. I mean, he's going to be in the majors really soon. And then he's like, you know, a part of what they do with the white Sox. I mean, obviously Colas is part of their season this year. Um, I think Andrew Vaughn's a little bit different. Like I've seen his name mentioned on white Sox Twitter, right. As like, Oh, what if you had to trade Vaughn for Sean Murphy? And like, to me, it doesn't make sense for Oakland right? Because I think like, as of right now, Sean Murphy's better than Andrew Vaughn and Andrew Vaughn only has four years of contract control because he spent two years in the big leagues. I just think Oakland is going to want like wherever Sean Murphy goes, Oakland's going to want four or five guys that, and most of them probably haven't played in the majors yet. Right. Cause it's all about getting guys with years of control. And that's like something that's like lost sometimes, like as much as we love Andrew Vaughn and like, I think Andrew Vaughn moving to first is is going to be huge for him right i just like don't know how much value he has like to the rest of the league that also thinks he's first base only and hits right-handed right so i just yeah that that's where like this stuff becomes difficult i think the the system's a lot better i think what you bank on is jose rodriguez and brian ramos and guys like that breaking out becoming top 100 prospects then you have like an excess to trade from right and You know, I think last year's draft is fairly highly regarded. So the system's better. They have stuff to trade. I don't know if they have enough to trade for, you know, like Mm -hmm. a Sean Murphy type where it's like three to four years of cost control for a five war type player. But I also don't know if they need that much impact.
1: I think that's very well said. And it's important to understand all the nuance when it comes to uh, making moves of significant magnitude and especially related to organizational core minor league depth. Um, I I think that's very well said. And to the Andrew Vaughn point, I've said it all the time on this podcast, big fan of Andrew Vaughn, but you mentioned it. He's limited to being right-handed as a hitter and he plays first base. You you can find value all over the league to do that. However, when it comes to this organization, this team, Andrew Vaughn, makes a lot of sense to help the team win, right? And, and he has a skill set in the lineup that at the plate that you believe can translate and is a part of the White Sox trying to win with Andrew Vaughn because, like you said, cause-controlled and a player that they they understand better than anybody else. So they may value him more than the rest of the league, and that's what's holding them back from moving him for something that they believe he's worth acquiring. So there's a lot to it. As we move on, I want to take a break. When we come back, we have to discuss Garrett Crochet because he had Tommy John in April, and that was significant. Now we're looking to 2023. We talked about the rotation a little bit. Lucas Giolito's on a final year of his contract. Lance Lynn is aging a little bit. Dylan Cease just came off a significant season where he was among Cy Young finalists. There's a lot to get to on the rest of this Future Sox podcast. Don't go anywhere. We're going to take a quick break. If you are a Patreon subscriber, don't go anywhere. No breaks for you. Consider becoming a patron. You get to listen to this ad-free. When we come back, more White Sox baseball here on the Future Sox podcast. All right, James, some uh, stuff going on at White Sox Twitter. This is what I want to throw to your attention. Garrett Crochet, three options. Trade him, make him a starter, keep him in the Major League bullpen. What do you think?
2: So I think it's a mix between two and three. I'm going to take the cop-out answer. So, so, like, look, when Garrett Crochet was drafted, The 11th pick in the draft, Mike Shirley came after, and he said that they projected him as a starting pitcher. I think the organization generally and genuinely did and felt that way because if they didn't, like, they're not taking a reliever with the 11th overall pick. Now, if he ends up being that, like, can it still work out? Sure. But, like, that wasn't the plan. So he goes to the alternate site. Everybody knows, right? He comes up. He's throwing 100. We're all stunned, texting each other, like, oh, my God, like, even – like somebody like me who followed this closely, right? Like did, did not expect that, like in that 2020 season for him to come up and be this like immediate must-see TV act. So then the next year I think is where they screwed up. Like they hire Tony La Russa, you know, they have Garrett Crochet in their big league bullpen, which look, I think after what they saw the year before, yes, obviously, right? But then they used him as a single inning reliever so often as a, and it's like in a loogie role kind of, even though they had the one, the three batter minimum to the point where like, if he was going to be in your big league bullpen, they needed to stretch him. They needed to kind of do what they've done with Michael Kopech where it's like 70 innings or whatever. Now to their credit, I think they were going to do that this past season and then he blew out. Right. So I guess it just kind of depends on what they want to do now. Crochet definitely wants to start, um, would that require him to go down to the minors to start or could they have him in the big leagues, you know, pitching in a multi-inning relief role and making spot starts and being used as the opener? Who knows? I think that's probably more likely than him going down, but eventually he's just going to have to rack up innings because he doesn't have an inning base from college and it is easier for him to be a starter on a team that's not trying to contend. So yeah, I, I think the, the Garrett Crochet situation is fascinating. And I, and I don't know totally what they're going to do. And I don't I don't think we know like how quickly he's going to be able to pitch in games either. Like you said, it was what last April he had Tommy John. So I mean, what February spring training? What what is he even going to be doing at that point? I'm not totally sure. So, but he's definitely. I think they probably have to kind of look at him as extra, right? I'm not sure what they can bank on from Garrett Crochet. Like I I have no hesitation that he'll come back and be fine. I just like don't know when he comes back is basically the question.
1: Yeah, I think the timeline is very important to understand the context of what the White Sox are dealing with here because they identified him out of Tennessee in 2020. He was expected to be their horse at the top of the rotation. That was going to be his first year as a full-time starter in college. That didn't happen because of COVID. They drafted him in 20, believing that mike shirley said it the director of amateur scouting that they wanted to turn him into a starter but as the alternate site like became a thing and it impacted all of major league baseball and a 60 game season where the white sox were trying to win the world series garrett crochet was so good because of how fresh his arm was and the fact that he was like you said throwing 99 to 101 that it was foolish to not take advantage of the prospect however making that decision means that you're committing to a, a change in his development path because you're no longer afforded the time that it's going to take for a player like Garrett Crochet to build his body, to develop the innings base, like you said, to work through the issues that a starting pitcher has to work through. All the things that happen to a pitcher is different to a starter versus a reliever, right? And we all know that. The The most important part of this entire conversation is that he's never Done it before. And now you take into account he had the 2020 season briefly, comes in 2021, utilize that was the year if you were going to do it, James. That was the year to commit to him as a reliever. But the mindset was to win a World Series. And of course, he's talented and valuable enough to be in a major league bullpen to get outs to help them win a World Series immediately. So the White Sox took that risk, and who knows how much of an impact. Uh, Tony LaRusso had on that decision, but you, you have to figure that with LaRusso in the clubhouse, you figure they're going to do everything they can to win. So, all of this is being taken into account, like we were describing. I think it's so fascinating to go over this because now, unfortunately, he deals with this significant injury. Do you hit the reset button? And I'm fine if they do that. But the point is, and I think this is where the Josh Nelson Twitter conversation comes into play, is that you're looking to get immediate value. So where is the immediate value coming from, right? Like, do you continue to use him as a reliever? Well, then all of a sudden, I think the value craters, right? His ceiling is lowered significantly because you just drafted a reliever 11th overall. And that's also important to mention, too. So with the intent of drafting this player as a starter, ultimately turned to reliever, hurt, missing a full season, needing also the time to rehab to get to major league ready. If you want to use him in a major league bullpen, maybe July. I don't know if that's too soon or maybe that's too late. The timeline differs with somebody uh, rehabbing from Tommy John surgery. The point is he is not going to be a starting pitcher. In 2023, unless you dedicate time in the minors, is that even an option at this point? And I think that's where Josh is, is coming from. Why are we taking the time to do that at this point of his career, given where the White Sox stand competitively?
2: Yeah. So I think it also like you take into account, like, does it matter what the player wants? Right. Because I I don't know. I mean, like how much should we care about that? I mean, he clearly wants to start. If I were him, I'd want to start too, because it's a, it's a heck of a lot more money. I think what Josh said in the reply to me or somebody else that he should be at Birmingham then if he wants to start. And like, I look, I don't disagree with that. I just like, don't know if that's what the White Sox are going to do. My thing is like, if he throws out of the bullpen this year in Chicago and it's like, whatever he throws like 50 innings or something, I just like, don't think this kid is ever starting. I just, I don't know how you ever have the innings to do that. So then at that point, like that's where like, the the conversation kind of changes for me. If the White Sox think that Garrett Crochet is a relief pitcher and like that's his ultimate home, they should trade him to somebody who thinks he can start because and it's just like that simple for me. Right? Like I, I don't need him as like a relief weapon. Like there, there's other guys that can do that. Like I would rather cash in his perceived value to somebody else that thinks like the value is higher. So you know, your three scenarios, like in that scenario, like, yeah, trade him. Mm-hmm. Like, cause maybe he does bring you back a left-handed hitting second baseman or some young starter, you know, that, you know what I mean? Like, so yeah. So that's where like, if Garrett Crochet is in Oakland, well, sure. Then they could, have him starting baseball games in June or in July. I just, I don't know if the White Sox can afford to do that. So, well, you know. I
1: think that's a great point, James here, because when you say that it determines everything. So now it changes the entire perspective. If the White Sox believe he's a reliever only, and they're not committed to developing developing him as a starting pitcher, then he's expendable. However, it's okay. If the White Sox believe that he can start, it just means that they have to use this year to develop him as a starter. But if they're going to tiptoe the line, James, like we've kind of seen them do without making a, a serious commitment one way or the other, then we're left with all of these questions.
2: Right. Like, is there any way Garrett Crochet can pitch in a relief role? And, and look, maybe it's a, maybe it's a lot more innings, right? Maybe it's like what I suggested, like he's piggybacking somebody like as soon as June or whatever, like after he's he's cleared. If he does something like that and he throws out of the White Sox bullpen in 2023, is it possible that he's in the White Sox starting rotation in 2024? I don't I I I think that answer is no, but I you know, I don't know.
1: I think the only way that could happen is if they allow him to rehab extensively in the minor leagues to pitch 2 to 3 innings and then give him 3 to 4 days in between outings. Like this is going to be a process. Like the way that they can utilize him at the big league level immediately is to use him as a like you said maybe not maybe not an opener, but somebody who can come in in the 3rd, 4th, 5th inning and eat up maybe 9 outs. I think that would be best case scenario if they're interested in developing him as a starter because maybe then the innings load starts to accumulate and the body starts to respond to uh, getting up and down multiple times. I think this is a project that the White Sox have to determine whether or not you know they want to attack because th- this is going. This is fragile. This is a fragile type of situation.
2: Yeah, and it's just like fascinating to me, right? Because like he's look, he's one of their top assets. I think. Like, but mm-hmm. the thing is, exactly. like, and that's something that we talked about. Like, you know, it's like the Sean Murphy thing. Like, I think a little. Like, I scoffed at like Josh's thought that you know Garrett Crochet and Colson Montgomery. For Sean Murphy, right? I I said that that would be like a bad trade, but then I went back on it because like I was under the impression that Sean Murphy had two years. He has three years. Like it's going to take a lot more than that mm-hmm. for three years of Sean Murphy. So I was like wrong there in like the initial discussion to the point where like I don't even know if Colson Montgomery and Garrett Crochet is enough, right? But if somebody loves Garrett Crochet for some reason, and there's probably somebody out there, him and and Montgomery are your headliner type guys that you have in your system or that you have available, right? Like, cause it is premium. I mean, it might be a reliever ultimately, but for, if somebody well, thinks, exactly. he, if somebody thinks he can start, like that's one of your premium pieces. So yes, if they're able to accomplish a trade for something that seems unrealistic to me today, it's likely that he's probably involved in it in some, in some way.
1: Yeah. I think that's important to mention. The way you phrased it is this is a premium asset. I would argue with somebody who would disagree with that because Garrett Crochet is a premium talent. That's what the White Sox have. And that's why this discussion is so significant, because you have something here. It's just the way that they've determined his value. It's been difficult. You know, it, this has been one of the most unique situations. or most unique. This is a unique situation um, that the White Sox find themselves in, uh, specifically within a guy who, like we talked about, ideally was going to be a starter, but ultimately was a reliever in the big leagues because he's so talented. And now they're, they're forced to make a decision. And it's like you can't really mess around with it anymore, um, unfortunately. Now, things can change over the next year. Rick Hahn has a lot of decisions to make regarding the 40-man roster, and the draft is going to be significant as well. You'd like to see some of these p- pitchers that we've been talking about, James, for you know the last two years on this podcast to emerge as legitimate pieces as future starters in, in the rotation uh, internally. It would help a ton. And as we wrap up this podcast, I'd like to mention a, a handful of things before we get out of here. Um, the White Sox made some – well, I guess – Decisions were made uh, on a lot of the minor league fronts. Some of the players here that I'd like to mention, a a handful of them here, James, Mike Rodolfo, Blake Rutherford, they've elected free agents. Zach Remillard uh, elected free agency. Nick Shufo was uh, a player that we thought could be on the big league roster at the start of last year. Didn't uh, ultimately see him. Kyle Kubat, a left-handed pitcher who was... um, Somebody who I thought made strides, but they're all older now. I mean, these are guys that we've been following for years who are no longer um, on the White Sox payroll. However, there's a chance that we could see a lot of them. Tyler Johnson, a right-handed reliever. Mike Wright Jr., who was a big part of the AAA and uh, obviously the Major League conversation over the last couple of seasons. So those are just some names that uh, elected free agency that maybe White Sox fans were intrigued by or familiar with. Now, again, they could be invited back to the organization, but just something of note. And also a couple of notes, James, that I'd like to mention, too. Uh, A handful of prospects like we talked about, Christian Mena, uh, Jose Rodriguez, Brian Ramos, Matthew Thompson, Sean Burke, Jason Billis. I mean, those guys, I think, should be worth monitoring this upcoming season uh, for various reasons. And we talked about the, just the significance of the 40 man and the active roster. I know we mentioned second base a lot of the time, but it has sort of influence on how we perceive the roster, given that AJ Pollock is gone. Oscar Colas is part of this conversation more and more. I think it's just worth mentioning those names because hopefully, you know, we optimistically we would like to see them grow.
2: Yeah, so I mean, like, minor league free agency is usually seven years in an organization. And somehow Blake Rutherford's only, like, 25, right? But, yeah, any of those guys could return, I guess, in theory. But, I mean, it was like, oh, man, like, those are guys that have been around for a while. If you look at the Charlotte roster, there's lots of space. So, you know, I do think, like, one of the reasons for Project Birmingham was because they had, like, a lot of players like in winston-salem and kind of ready for double a but maybe not really and i think like guys will just shift up so like most of the birmingham team will be in charlotte the interesting thing about charlotte is like the Sox have typically used it as like a haven for like 4a type guys right like you're adam hazley's of the world like guys that they use in case something happens in the big leagues right and i mean obviously like Carlos Perez will be there, but like, there's going to be some legitimate prospects in Charlotte this year. And it hasn't been like that completely. Yeah, I guess like it is occasionally, but last year it really wasn't. I mean, there was like Jake Berger there or whatever, but I mean, you know, you could have Lenny Sosa and Romy and, um, you know, guys like Jose Rodriguez could be there and Cespedes should be there and all sorts of pitchers. I mean, Chris gets talked about Sean Burke being, you know, kind of some of their immediate pitching depth. I mean, that's a third rounder from two years ago who's at Charlotte. I mean, Matthew Thompson's working his way there. Christian Mena is super young, but I mean, he's in like, you know, the, the upper tier of this system probably starting in A 2 So I think it's going to be interesting to follow their their roster moves and, you know, on the Future Sox podcast here, like we'll be in tune to that and let everybody know. But I do think there's like a lot of minor league type signings coming because they do need pitching still. Um, So, you know, I think like a lot of minor league starters and guys that you've probably heard of, um, you know, could sign with the White Sox on minor league deals. But getting getting guys to sign to willingly pitch in Charlotte is is kind of tough, though, I think.
1: Yeah, that's boy. The pitching staff in Charlotte last year was rough. James, great stuff. Really good conversation. We'll talk again next week. Every Tuesday, we get you the Future Sox podcast following Chicago White Sox baseball. Non-tender deadline coming up. We're going to see more decisions on the 40-man roster. GM meetings occurred. Uh, The A.J. Pollock thing was a big deal, man. And this character conversation uh, was a good one. So hopefully we've provided uh, more and more context uh, for you, the listener. And thanks so much for tuning in every Tuesday to the Future Sox podcast. If you like what you heard, give it a subscribe if you haven't. And also give us a rating because it really helps out the algorithm. And if you're listening anywhere, uh, feel free to share and submit an email to us, futuresocks at gmail.com. if you'd like to have your question or comment read on the podcast. We'll discuss it for you. For James Fox, he's at James Fox nine one seven on Twitter. I'm at Rankin nine zero six. We had a uh, we had a lot of fun talking about Josh Nelson's uh, tirade out in Louisiana over <laughs> over on Twitter. So we like spicy Josh Nelson. And, uh, you know, what? We, we brought it up because, look, fully transparent here. We are at the center of White Sox Twitter, and this isn't you know talking us up. We're not trying to have an ego. But, you know, guys like Jordan Lazowski at Sox on 35th, those guys do a ton of work and help. The guys at the 108 podcast, we talk to them all the time. This is a very educated White Sox bunch, and we talk to you, the listener, uh, and we respect your knowledge of the system and we try to help you make, you know, become smarter uh, White Sox fans. And we learn each and every day. And I think it's great to have perspective, various perspectives, but it's also important to formulate your own opinion. I think that's obviously the goal here. And we want to be able to uh, provide all the information as objectively as we can to allow you to formulate an informed opinion to help understand, right? I mean, we're all trying to understand where the hell the White Sox are coming from. We do our best to look through the organization's lens uh, in decision making. So thanks so much for being around with us. And thanks so much for taking the time to listen to what we have to say, because otherwise, like James says, we're just a couple of guys speaking into a microphone to nobody. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you for all the support. All right, I'll, I'll shut up now. For James Fox, my name's Mike Rankin. Thanks so much for listening. we will talk to you all next week on the Future Sox podcast.